Those of you who are a little more swift, you write your kindergarten teacher. And then, those of you who need to write your second grade or third grade teacher, you go ahead and do that too. Trying to think of what I should say to you today after so many enjoyable moments in this place. Uh, some of which, of course, were in settings like this, me being in the audience. I don't know if this is quite as an enjoyable time as uh, being on that side. Many enjoyable times sitting in the bleachers when this floor was cleared and there were round hoops on the end watching the basketball action. And many other times too. It's a real joy to be here. And uh, putting together a few things to say, I realize that you need uh, not a lot of words at this time when you're so filled with other things and I didn't want to uh, put too many things before you so we won't be long. I, I did want to just give you a word of personal testimony because I think that as an educator, which is what I am, uh, I want to bring to you a sense of what God has done in my life and what he is doing in my life and what I know can apply to your life too. He already has done many things for you and will do many things for you in the future as I anticipate him doing for me and my family. This is, I guess, in a way, the gospel according to Dave. We read the gospel according to Mark and the gospel according to Luke and the gospel according to John Nowhere in here do I see a book that says the gospel according to Dave. I don't say David because that could be confusing with someone else that was in the Psalms and so forth. But the gospel according to me is important because I do preach the gospel or I do minister the gospel as you do. As a Christian, we all do. And so the gospel according to Dave is what I wanted to speak to you just briefly about today, sharing with you some of the things that God has done in my life. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and think that you are a great person. Now, they may bring glory or glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what we're about as Christians, all of us, every one of us, regardless of what we do. We're in the business of bringing glory to God. First Corinthians 10, Paul said, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. He was speaking in reference there to eating things and, and uh, things before idols and so forth. But his phrase was, his con uh, concept was, do it all to the glory of God. So. This is what the Master's Men series is about. That whatever we do, whatever walk of life we're in, we're doing it to the glory of God. That has to be kept paramount in our minds. Well, I have to go back to my uh, testimony for you, to my childhood, to my home, my early life. My Christian, godly parents. How I praise God for them. I think if you have had that privilege of being raised in a godly Christian home, you know what I'm saying. My parents were both saved. My mom saved as a child. My dad saved as a teenager before mom and dad were married. And their early, my early life was involved in the home where there was ministry going on. 
Mom was always involved in teaching Sunday school or child evangelism classes. Dad was involved in Sunday school as superintendent, as a deacon, as a chairman of the board, always involved. He was a shipbuilder. Uh, he worked at Mare Island Naval Shipyard in Vallejo, California, as a welder, and uh, that was his occupation, but uh, his life was serving the Lord. And so, again, anything you do, do it to the glory of the Lord. Dad is still with us. My mom is in heaven now, but uh, Dad's still around and, in fact, has been down to the campus several times and enjoys that when he can get down. No longer building ships, but always uh, a faithful witness to the Lord. The family went to church. As a kid, I thought we went to church too much. I mean, church again? Come on. Twice on Sunday, Wednesday night, youth group special meetings, whatever it was, and the doors were open, we were there. Sometimes we were there opening the doors, setting up the chairs or taking them down or whatever. But the special part about that was that we were trained to be in the local church. And that's just where we were. There was no alternative. At times when we were young, we would maybe attempt, and I had a brother and a sister, still do in fact, and we would maybe uh, for a while entertain some other thought about where we might go on Sunday, but very quickly that was put away from our minds. We were going to be in church no matter what. My thoughts go to that verse in Proverbs that's so special, in the 22nd Proverb, the 6th verse, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Uh, that's been a special verse to me as... Uh, as it shows from my life and it has been a model verse as I have uh, attempted to lead a family and my wife and I have raised our children. The verse is special in this way because what it means as I understand it from some of the studying I've done is that the training up of a child has to do with, the word train has to do with the mouth or the palate has to do in two senses. Number one, that it was used of leading a horse with the, with the bit in the mouth that was used to lead a horse in the direction it should go. Uh, that uh, aspect of it. And the second, which is a, another beautiful picture, was also used in connection with uh, a baby and a nursing mother or a wet nurse. In those days, they, uh, they used to have other women that would nurse the children. And in order to get the child to, uh, to take the food, take the milk, sometimes they used a little solution of, uh, that would make the baby begin to suck. And they would wash that around in the palate, in the mouth. And thereby giving the child a taste for the food and leading them in that way uh, to, to drink. The training then is the leading or the giving, the providing a taste for the ministry or a taste for the things of the Lord. And so a child thus trained up or led, when he is old, and the, and the word doesn't mean old like me, it means mature like you. When he becomes mature, he won't depart from those things. How important then as a young person to train 
to be trained in the things of the Lord. Now, why am I saying that to you? You're already mature. Because I won't, I won't ask for uh, a raise of hands, but I would suspect that most of you someday expect to have some children of your own. And they should be trained from the beginning in the things of the Lord, in the way they should go. And uh, I think that that's, uh, that's the, the content of the message here that I would like to, uh, to bring on that point. Our home was open to strangers. Our home uh, had couples, missionaries, young people. During the war, way back, not World War I now, World War II, um, we had many servicemen in our home. I can recall uh, our house being always a place of gathering on Sunday afternoon as my folks ministered to the many people that were in need at that time. Both the fellows away from home uh, stationed at the, ship, uh, the shipyard there on the ships and so forth. Now, I was saved very early in my life. I can remember uh, begging my mother to be baptized. I loved the water. I guess maybe I thought it was like going swimming or something. And as a little child, I can remember, Mom, when can I do that when I'd see a baptismal service? And she would explain to me, Honey, that's not just for playing in the water. That has a special meaning. It means that you have been saved. And she would explain that to me. And then when the time came, and I was about six, it was time that she led me to the Lord in one of her child evangelism classes in my house. That was a real blessing, and I always think back to that. Uh, as she had other kids in from the neighborhood, and she gave an invitation and said, Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And her own son said, Yes, I do. And uh, that was a wonderful thing. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, Ecclesiastes. The wise man said in Ecclesiastes 12:1, When evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And our life was then centered in the church as a teenager, as a young person, just centered there. The friends, the activities, the youth group, the Bible camps, that's where we were. That's where my friends were. Now my biblical education was an interesting one too. I had an excellent Bible foundation in church. I, I praise God for that. Um, my home and the church provided me with a foundation of biblical study that by the time I graduated from, uh, from high school I had a foundation in the Word. Uh, we had a godly pastor who preached the fundamentals of the Word and uh, that was uh, the, the, uh, the thing that we had from the beginning. Uh, Paul said to Timothy in the third chapter, uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, he said Remember those things that from a child you have learned from the Holy Scripture. From a child, Timothy had learned them at his mother's and his grandmother's knee. And uh, this was a, a blessing there, and of course it was to me. The importance of the involvement in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching local church can't be overstated. It needs to be made a habit. It needs to be done. There is no exemption for that among us as believers. We must find that. And I was later to find that, that my doctrinal foundation was indeed strong as I later studied theology in Bible college. And yes, indeed, after high school I went to Bible college. And it reminds me of a setting, even though our college was smaller than this, 
Uh, it reminds me of this setting many times of sitting in chapel and listening to the, uh, the folks minister to us. My best friend, my pastor's son, went to a strange school in L.A. This is from Vallejo and Bay Area. It was called L-A-B-T-S. I don't know if anybody here remembers those letters or not. Los Angeles Baptist Theological Seminary, I guess it was what it was. And um, I remember him talking about that school. That school, of course, is this school. Uh, it was downtown L.A. and many, many years ago I remember visiting him there. But I, my sister had gone to Biola and Multnomah, and I had applied at Multnomah and decided to go there. That's where the Lord wanted me to go. I thought I was accepted, but the Lord intervened and I ended up going to Midwest Bible and Missionary Institute in St. Louis, Missouri. College life, what a time. What a thrill it was. It was like summer camp, which I enjoyed tremendously, only it was all year long. Chapels, activities, uh, uh, kids, things happening, and uh, I, I sense that here on this campus too. What happened then? Well, it was a time of gaining knowledge for me, knowledge of God's Word certainly. It was there that I realized I was well grounded in the Word, but I had much more to learn. And then, of course, of gaining in life's work and skills. It was a time of gaining maturity. Boy, when I had to get up and go to work. When I had to get up. <laughs> when I went down to that shoe warehouse and worked, and then came back and, and uh, paid my bill at school. And uh, for the week I had 25 cents that I wanted to buy a candy bar with. Those, in those days you could buy a candy bar for 25 cents or something like that. That was maturity that I was gaining. The times of loneliness. You know what I mean, don't you? There are times that are lonely on a campus. The times of uh, making, ha uh, making your own life habits, like making your bed. Mom isn't there anymore. Wow, I, I have to do it. It didn't get done while I was at class, somehow. Um, the gaining in maturity, that was a real time there. The time of applying God's Word to my lifestyle, that's what you're doing right now. Developing my convictions. Not my mom's and dad's from a Christian home. That was easy to just take theirs. But now I have to make a mine. You do too. And so it was internalizing, developing my convictions. One example. But when I went to Bible college, even though I was raised in a Christian home and, and avoided many, many of the things that we typically think of as sinful, uh, I didn't have much thought at all about uh, of cheating on a test when the time came. If there was a, a, a way to cheat a little bit and pull out a piece of paper or whatever, I didn't have any conviction about that. So I went to Bible college. And then suddenly, not suddenly, gradually, <laughs> that became a conviction of my own. That's a very simple illustration. But no longer was I free to do that from within. It was always wrong, but now that was uh, a conviction that I had. And so from that point on, no longer was I... Uh, I was tempted to do that, but no longer did I participate in that because it was cheating myself and, of course, cheating on honesty and, and uh, sinning against the Lord. 
So the decisions about how I would live, the decisions about what I would do, these were important. Like any good Bible college student, I followed what God wanted me to do. I immediately looked for a girl to get engaged to. Isn't that what you do at Bible college? I don't know. <laughs> I did find one and uh, we got engaged. What was interesting was that after I gave her the ring, then I started to think about what was next. And it was marriage. I wasn't ready for that. I was just ready for engagement. <laughs> we had a little tradition at our little school. I'm, I'm sure if you petition the administration, you could get that instituted here. You didn't give the girl a ring. You gave your ring to the dean who called you up at dinner time and gave you had to give it to her there at dinner when everybody was watching. You want to do that? It sounds great, doesn't it? Work through your student council members, and I'm sure you could bring that about if you wish. I travel with musical groups, my how the kids have come to our home and uh, to our church and how I identify with that, singing in a quartet, playing in a trumpet trio. I had no idea what the Lord wanted me to do for the first two years I was there. In my junior year, God began to lead me into education. I could feel his calling there. I Don't tell me how, but it, it just came that I was leading more and more into education. Now, I was studying theology with a minor in, in Greek and Hebrew, and in fact went on and got my degree in theology uh, with, with that minor. But God was leading me on into education. And uh, I traveled that year. I graduated from college with the uh, trumpet trio. And in fact, on our last stop, we stopped in a church in Springfield, Missouri. We traveled through about five Midwestern states there. And uh, there was this girl, her name was Mary, and she went to church there in Springfield. See, traveling musicians, there are benefits to that. You keep your eyes open. I had had my eyes open. See, this other engagement had long since uh, disappeared. And um, I w had my eyes open. I knew the Lord had something for me on that tour. And uh, there in Springfield, I looked down and saw this young lady in the audience and, and took a deep breath, which is dangerous to do when you're playing a trumpet. <laughs> Don't ever breathe in through one of those things. Oh, boy. But anyway, here was this young lady, Mary, and uh, she'd been a, a student at Bob Jones University. Interesting. You know that place? That's the place that uh, added six inches to 1 Corinthians 171. You know, good for a man not to touch a woman. They say not even get within six inches of her. Uh, or was it 12? I think they've gotten more liberal. It's now six. <laughs> this is an aside, but I heard they built a new dorm there. And they have men and women living in the same dorm. Different floors, and the floors don't touch. But I saw her there, and uh, from that moment on, I knew that I was, uh, I was in love. And uh, it took me several years to convince her of that, but uh, that did happen. And I met my wife there at, right after I graduated from, 
from uh, Bible College. Now, because it was a non-accredited institution, folks, when I went to the next school to study my education, they went through a book and they looked for the name and it wasn't there. So they said, you have the privilege of starting as a freshman. So I did. Uh, I did four more years of education, eventually graduating from San Jose State University with a bachelor's degree in education. Why so many years? It seems like, and when I talk to many people, especially people in the world, they say, wow, you sure wasted some time. Uh-uh. No. See, I was being prepared, and I didn't know it, but God was preparing me for ministry. A ministry of his work. Even though I'm in education, I'm in his work. And he was preparing me. I didn't quite have as long a time to prepare as Moses did. You know, his was 40 years and then 40 more years. This was only four and four. But uh, it's never wasted when you're in preparation. You may not see it now, but God has a plan for your life. And he did for mine. And so while education was to be my vocation, God's work is to be my life. I continued on and got my master's degree then in school administration from San Jose State. Now, marriage to the right person is the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And God blessed me with a wonderful wife, a godly wife. We got right into service, into the local church. Don't take a vacation. Don't take some time off. Get right in. Don't let the devil tell you you need some time away from this. There are some keys there. Regular attendance. Make it a habit of your life. Service. Use the gifts that God has given you. He's given you a gift or gifts to minister to the body. You use them. You're not a spectator. You're not to be entertained. You're not to be a sponge. You are to be a participant. Our home now is a place of hospitality. Our home is a place that welcomes strangers. It needs paint, it needs carpet, it needs drapes, but it welcomes strangers. And that's what's important. In fact, sometimes it's known as Master's Dorm North, I think. <laughs> but a real privilege of having seven or eight kids up just a, a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, you are welcome. Anytime you want to come through San Jose and need a place to stay, you just knock on the door. You'll have a place because that's what home is for, for sharing the Lord and sharing God in his, uh, in his ministry. I praise the, God, I praise the Lord for a precious wife with the gifts of service and the gifts of hospitality. What we are in our neighborhood is important too. Not just what we say, but what we are. Bringing kids to church from our neighborhood and saying as we have opportunity things to our neighbors what an important thing it is. Well, we've raised our three sons and are raising our daughter. She is in high school now. She thinks she should be here already, but she has another year to go before she gets here. She will be here very shortly. We have a, a son, quotes, another son living with us now. We've had four kids since our kids, have, our boys have left, live in our home. And our present son living there now, a boy from Visalia who wants to be a missionary pilot. And he's going to San Jose State. And uh, that's been a real privilege in the ministry of having kids come and live with us as they need a place to live. Well, a profession. Let's get there. Teaching. This is a prejudicial statement that you will allow me today. Teaching 
the greatest profession there is. I think the most important profession. I began teaching 27 years ago in the public schools, and I've taught 4th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, science, social science. I've taught pretty much, much of everything in those lower grades. I've been an administrator in public schools for 20 years, K-6 and 7th and 8th. As that, I'm involved in counseling, advising, disciplining, planning, organizing, modeling, teaching, working out in the community. I have opportunities every day to live a life for Christ and to witness for Him. The educator's role is super important in our society. You're going to hear from engineers and doctors and so forth. The engineer, he develops with materials, structures, devices and things. The doctor, he works with people and their bodies and he gives them health. But the teacher works with the mind of the student, of the young, and develops the future of the society. What a privilege that is. Now, as a Christian teacher in a public school, let me answer uh, uh, what questions might be in your mind. What can be done and what can't be done? Well, let's talk about some things that can't be done. Obviously, you can't use that time to indoctrinate your students because it is a public school. Talking extensively with Sam Erickson about this, he deals with cases all over the United States. Um, to use your position as an unfair, uh, in an unfair way in relation to other people's beliefs. Sam and I in talking, he said, remember this, if that was a Muslim teacher up there teaching your children, what would you want him to say about his religion? <laughs> and that's a good thing to keep in mind there. That's, those are some things we can't do, but what can we do? We can be a witness by the way we live and by who we are and what we do and what we say the model that we are before our students and our parents. I think it's more important to have Christian teachers in public schools or Christian teachers, period, than it is to have Christian doctors or Christian attorneys or Christian uh, engineers or accountants or mechanics or chemists because we're working with the minds of young people person to do that than a Christian, one who knows what the Lord is about, knows what the real answers are, that they don't lie in man's philosophy. The opportunities are there. People are in need. I have more people coming to me saying, what can I do with my child? How can I deal with this? Many requests for help and advice. And you know, in the privacy of my office, or at times outside of school, I can share with them. It's interesting to watch them look at my, uh, at, at my uh, diplomas on the wall and see Midwest Bible and Missionary Institute degree in theology and say, oh, you studied the Bible. Yes, I did. It's a, it's a, a door opener and uh, they, they are, uh, the opportunities are there. Let me quickly challenge you. I don't know where you are in your life, but let me challenge you with some of the things that are happening if the Lord tarries in our state and in our country. In 1947, the average child in the United States 
lived in a rural community. He lived with an extended family, a mother and a father, and maybe a grandparent. And at home, every day, he had two and a half hours of significant interchange with adults in his life. 1947. I was alive then. 1987. The average child in the United States lives in an urban setting. He lives in a home with 1.6 adults. Difficult. In other words, many children are living with a single parent, some with two, few with the extended family. Do you know how much significant interchange he has with adults every day? Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. That's the average child in the United States today. That's a different set of circumstances that we're dealing with. Mom is not home, she may be working, and a lot of that change in significance might be shut up and get your clothes picked up and throw it away, I don't have time, and clean up and take out the dog or whatever it is. That's the significant part. It's a real change. The impact of television you've heard a lot about, 20 to 35 hours per week. It's a mind filler. It does not allow creativity. It does not allow thinking because it fills all of the channels. It's chewing gum for your eyes. And the kids are just coming to us with com uh, completely saturated with that. The demographics of California are moving tremendously. The majority of kindergarten through fourth grade students this year in our schools are now made up of minority groups. The largest group being Hispanic in California right now. By 1995, the majority of the students in California will be, quote, minority. Those are the facts that we have. There was a baby boom, 1946 through 64, we call the baby boom time when the children were born after the war. Then we went through a baby bust. There weren't many children born, 64 through 78. But now we're in what's called the echo baby boom. 78 through, we anticipate 88, where more children are being born. These are the children of the baby boomers. The echo of the baby boomers. But while the boomers were affluent and Anglo, we're finding that the echo baby boomers are basically more tending toward minority groups and at-risk groups. These have great implications for us in education. <coughs> Excuse me. Four out of ten girls before 18 will become pregnant. Four out of ten. God, has he allowed the epidemic we see around us as a, as a reminder to us of his moral law? Is he saying to us, I told you sexual promiscuity was not okay? I told you that. But those are the facts that are before us. Out of every 100 children born, 12 will be born out of wedlock. 40 will be born into homes 
whose parents will divorce before that child is eight years old. Five more will be born in homes whose parents will separate before the child is eight. Why is that important? Why must we have a society that is educated? Because our population is bimodal. We are having, we're seeing many, many young people and many, many older people and not too many people in the middle. 1955, there were 17 workers for every retired person. 1990, there will be three workers for every retired person. That scares me because I'm going to retire and I want somebody out there working, supporting that. I want them educated, folks. Of the three, one will be female and one will be minority. We want them educated. We must have them educated. The nature of work is changing. We've moved from an agricultural age to an industrial age and now into an information age. Blue collar to white collar. The most important survival skills are vocabulary and concept processing. 3% of the jobs produce 25% of the economy. One high-tech job will equal 10 technician-type jobs, or produce jobs for 10 technicians, and 100 service and sales-type jobs. That's the wave of the future as we go on. But concept and vocabulary development in children is vital, vital to their survival and vital to our survival as a nation. I'm not saying that we're going to get better and better and, and go into the promised land. I'm saying that if the Lord tarries, we want to survive as a nation. We don't want to go down. Entry level into, into school at age five, a middle class student comes in be, when he comes to school by the way, knowing 90% of everything he's ever going to learn in his life by the time he gets to school. That's how much we have impact on him. And I hate to tell you college professors how much impact you have on by the time they get here. But they know 90% of everything they're going to know by the time they get to us at age 5. In fact, they know 60, 65% of everything they know in their first year of life. But when they enter school, a middle class student has a 4,000 word vocabulary, while a lower class student has a 2,000 word vocabulary. What a gap. Students learn approximately 2,000 words per year through third grade. The high school student needs a, a vocabulary, needs a vocabulary of 40,000 words. But the first 2,000 words hold 90% of the meanings. That means if you've lost out on that foundation, you're floundering. And we're in a world that must have vocabulary and concept development. Early development is vital. It never ends either. The drive to know has been said to equal the sex drive and the drive to feed yourself and survive. The job of education is never finished. It's estimated that the half-life of a teacher is five years. In other words, the training that you received is halfway dissipated by five years. The half-life of an engineer is four years. The half-life of some high-tech jobs is six months. Education never, never stops. Well, there are golden opportunities, and I will finish with this. 
We expect 100,000 new students in the state of California next year. 100,000 new students. We will need 85,000 to 120,000 new teachers in the state by 1990. That's mind-blowing. Kids are starting to come into the system at the same time the bulk of the teaching staff is retiring. 85% of elementary administrators, that's me, will turn over by the year 1990. 85%. What are the opportunities? They're wide open. Wide open. Who should be there? Christians. Christians. What better person to be there teaching our youth than Christians? Dr. Shirley McHugh, collaborating editor of In Search of Excellence, said the future of our country and society is being written every, in every classroom in our country. The minds of our children are our most precious resource and in, in the most precious resource in our country. Who will teach them? A great challenge and opportunity lie wide open in California public schools as we as Christians can and should take advantage of them. The fields are wide unto harvest. Who will teach them? Who will teach them? Let me exhort you as we close. No God. No God. Search his word. Apply yourself to the study of his person. Paul said that I may know him. And then learn his plan for your life. Number two, dedicate yourself wholly to his calling. Study. Apply yourself. Be all that you can be. Be excellent for him. For his glory. Live your life as though it reflects Christ to others because it does. It does. They should be led to him through you. What's the gospel according to you? You preach it every day in every way by the way you live and by who you are. Let's bow. Father, bless us.